Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Vossig, and I'm going to be your host. Today I'm welcoming Benjamin T. Wilson, a fantastic sci-fi filmmaker and all-around really cool guy who I would like to talk to about things like Greek mythology and independent film and swap notes about traveling for weird movie landmarks. Let's get started. On mic today, we have Benjamin T. Wilson. How are you doing today, good sir? I am doing all right. Thanks for having me. I am glad to have you here. I looked over your stuff, and the more I look at it, the more I like it. It's like, this is a dude I definitely want to be talking to, because you are, like myself, a giant sci-fi geek, but you've actually gone so far as to make your own sci-fi. So I really want to talk about that. Cool. Let's talk about it then. Okay, so this movie you made, uh, how far along is it? Is it ready to go? Is it ready for so, release? Is this uh, is this my feature you're asking about, Galatea? Yes. Galatea, it's done. It's 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 ready to release. It's going to be uh, premiering at the Austin Revolution Film Festival this upcoming March. Um, well, God willing, you know, coronavirus and makes you know everything a little uncertain, but they they're they're pretty sure they're holding their date. Uh, so I believe it's the weekend of uh, March 21st through the 23rd. Um, we'll be premiering down in Austin. Fantastic. And Austin is one of my favorite towns in the world. So you picked a good choice. <laughs> yeah, we've we've I've uh, a couple of my shorts over the years have played at this festival and it's a it's a special one. So we uh, myself, my my producer partner and myself uh, really wanted to uh, premiere the film there. So we're, we're very excited to be doing so. So tell me about the film. What's it like conceptually? So it's a uh, it's a retelling of the Greek myth of Pygmalion and Galatea, uh, which the short version of it for your viewers who might be unfamiliar with it are uh, Pygmalion's a guy in a small town and uh, he can't find a girlfriend. He can't find a uh, his words, not mine, a, a virtuous woman in his whole town. So he does, you know, the logical thing and he sculpts one out of ivory because he's a, a sculptor. And then he does the next logical thing and just starts treating this inanimate statue like it's his girlfriend and then one night during the uh, uh festival the feast day for aphrodite he goes to her temple and uh offers some prayers and one of the main prayers being um okay help me find somebody just like her and aphrodite decides to go down to the workshop and see what he's talking about and she's so impressed by um the realism and the and the beauty of the sculpture which of course you know is in her image uh that she brings it to life and pygmalion and his uh statue get to live happily ever after together. So what I do is I kind of update the story for the modern time. Uh, Galatea is no longer a sculpture. She is an artificial intelligence. And uh, my story does not end with uh, brought to life happily ever after. There's a there's a lot more going on. So but that's uh, conceptually most of the story revolves around uh, the character Jesse, who's kind of the Pygmalion stand in uh, building this artificial intelligence uh, throughout the movie and kind of the developing relationship between him, another human character who's helping him with that. And uh, and of course, the titular Galatea herself. All right. Now, there's a whole lot to unpack here. And yes, I, there is. Uh, <laughs> you're one of the guest who's ever brought up greek mythology on here and for that i thank you because when it comes to science fiction i'd like to go right back to the beginning and say look the very first stories we ever told were fantastic stories they were stories out of the imagination yeah so there's something to that there's there's a reason people want to tell these kinds of stories what was your reason well i i think i've said this you know on other platforms before but my thing if you will my, my kind of niche in storytelling that i've come to enjoy is i really really like telling human stories 
through non-human means. Um, I, I think for some reason, and I, I've never fully figured out why this is, but um, I find it easiest to get to the heart of of characters and and uh, and kind of find their humanity when they're not human. I have a short films about you know like little robots i have short films about actually lots of little robots there's one that's just about a robot there's one that's about um a, a smart assistant you know like a google home or alexa or something and like and and having those types of characters as my protagonists has just kind of uh become my thing so so galatea is the type of thing i've, I've wanted to do a, a a human and some sort of uh, robot type story for a long time. And so I, I, I feel like I've been chasing that film for a while. Um, but yeah, I, that, that just tends to be my niche is the, is the humanity part of it. Um, does that answer your question? It does. And I mean, I, I'm kind of building on that in my head there. It's like, you're saying that it's easier to find the humanity in somebody when they're not human. I, I think we, as the audience tend to have a little bit of guilt when it comes to some of these characters, because we were entertained by seeing them go through pain and suffering. And we, part of us don't want to see that happen to an actual person. So if it's not an actual person, that kind of throws us off our guard a little bit. I feel like, I feel like writers and, 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 uh, you know, creators do that to an extent as well. I, I, I feel like the, the ultimate part of that is like like for kids shows, right? How how kids shows that are about superheroes or something, they want to have violence in it because it's a superhero show, but it's a kids show, so you can't you can't be violent against humans, so you make all the bad guys robots, mm-hmm. um, which is you know a good workaround. But yeah, it's also fun because you know things that we or human characters would take for granted, uh, robot characters or AI characters or other types of sci-fi characters don't always. There's very often a a naivety or a self-awareness to certain aspects of their, um, let's say their their emotional palette or or their um, place in society or what have you. And so that can often lead to um, more, maybe not, or maybe more natural, but but at least more obvious uh, roots for their insecurities. And uh, insecurities obviously are, are where we find a lot of character and character growth in stories. Very true, and you have to hit the character where they're weakest. I'm thinking somebody who can't find himself a virtuous woman, doesn't have access to uh, eHarmony, is probably <laughs> going to go ahead and and not be all that self secure. Yeah, well, the I so I, I leave out the the virtuous woman part for the most part. He's not uh in my movie. He's not searching just because no one's good enough. He's he's much just more of the antisocial type. Um, the insecurity thing I was just talking about, though, definitely comes into play because so to, to tell you a little bit more about the way we develop the movie is the artificial intelligence itself is based off of a human template, if you will. What he basically does is he builds the uh, the mechanics for the brain, the the uh, the physical like this is a functional brain. I just need to fill it with something. And then they use a real human and they kind of have her go through different emotional states and let the AI kind of read that and scan that and then start to build itself off of that. So that results in the artificial intelligence actually getting these kinds of insecurities and wondering, as she says in the movie, how much of me is my own? Because she's trying to figure out where does the line between what I'm copying from this real girl end and, and then where to my true self begin. And it, I think it's really fun to see uh, kind of an identity crisis like that uh, in, a, in a non-human character. 
And you're looking at an identity crisis that a lot of people are going to get at at some point in their lives, maybe maybe multiple times in their sure. lives. Uh, because, you know, we're even people who are just born the old fashioned way are the conglomeration of the DNA and experiences and upbringing of dozens of people. Yeah. And you see that also you see that kind of thing when you when somebody has like, say, a falling out with um this might be a simplistic example, but but like a fandom, so, some somebody who's really into some sort of uh, cultural phenomenon or, or or a band or something, and then something happens, either either you know a, a bad entry in the franchise comes out, or the band members all break up and turns out they hate each other or something, and and then you see this person who you know built so much of their identity on I am a fan of this or I am a part of this community when that community falls apart there's this man when when you take away the the surface level of this what of me is left like what how you know so I I do think you know and I think there's plenty of other examples like that but yeah that there's definitely it's that it's definitely a human thing um which again is is where I find the fun in it I'm now, I'm, I'm listening to you talk about the story, and I love the idea of it. I can't wait to see it. Um, I'm I'm curious how much of a fan of weird science you are. I not really watched it much, to be honest. I, I am one of those people who, and some of your viewers may find this very frustrating, there are, there are authors I enjoy reading who talk about how they don't read um and they uh and you're like wait how can you be a writer if you don't read and they're like well it's a completely different process i i'm kind of that way when it comes to a lot of sci-fi stuff um i i enjoy making it a lot more than i tend to consume not that i don't enjoy consuming sci-fi but i've just noticed that it's it's the type of thing i prefer making over consuming <laughs> fair enough i just there, there are some parallels and some extreme differences between the two and i was just wondering if at any point you went wrestled with those in your heads yeah, I mean, you're always anytime I think you're telling an artificial intelligence story, there's going to be at least three or four examples that you can like overlap. And, and some of them, you know, like Ex Machina or something, I could say, yes, I took inspiration from that. And others, I'm like, I'm just I'm glad I haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I really think that you're probably better off. I, I mean, I love the show. Uh, the movie is fairly good. I'm one of the few people that likes the show more than the movie. I will die on this hill. OK, <laughs> but yeah. <sighs> In, in this case, you would want to have your own spin on it. You'd want to have your own vision. And, I, and it looks like you have that. Yeah. And everything to some point, obviously, is is derivative. But um, some, I mean, I do and I do enjoy trying to be uh, original where I can. Maybe not so much in, in you know, narrative, but at least in um, adding my own voice or my or in this movie's case, my own color palette or my own, you know, style and stuff. And, yeah, I think that's kind of where the differentiation becomes uh what we look for. So what made you want to get into creativity and filmmaking? What what was the thing that made you say, I'm going to grab that camera, I'm going to pick up that pen? You know, um, I was 14, uh, and uh, a buddy of mine who I'm happy to say I still work with today, I'll shout out Peter J.S. Regan, another great filmmaker, he had just shot a... Uh, he had just shot a school project, um, a little film for his school, and he didn't have a way to edit it. And my family had just gotten our first, like, family computer, like an iMac, that came with iMovie. And I'd always wanted to – when I was young, you know, I did the classic playing with the, the, uh, the DV tape video camera and stuff. But I'd never edited anything. Um, so he brought the, the footage over, 
and we spent uh, 13 hours straight editing, like without looking up. We just we were just going for it. And when we finally looked at the clock and realized how long we'd been doing this, how much fun we were still having, how much energy we still have, that was kind of the moment where I realized, oh, this might be something I actually uh, want to do. Well, you were at the magic age there. I mean, it's that 12, 13, 14 into the 15 year span. It's like you're you finally have something that resembles an adult brain in you, but you have that childlike fascination. Yeah. So your focus becomes like a laser beam for possibly the only time in your life. Yeah. And it was funny because I I throughout the rest of like high school and stuff, we would we would make films in the backyard. We make music videos was actually the thing we'd make for a while. Um, I had a couple friends who who really one guy really liked playing with lights. One guy really liked playing with cameras. And we would just get all these lights and stuff together and, and get some instruments and have like a fake band. And we'd uh, just do it like a lip sync music video to some song. <laughs> I was I was TikTok ahead of its time. Uh, but uh, but I always I, I never I was never sure uh, until I got to college if I was going to um, go after it solely as a career. I remember in high school talking about like dual majoring maybe and like, you know, something practical like business and then something like film. But then by the time I started applying to colleges and seeing, you know, kind of how the major programs were broken down, um, I basically decided to just all in it for film. And, and I'm glad I did because it's the thing that I love doing. The practicum on the film program is huge. It's very hard to split that up between anything else. I I know yeah. a few people that did it. Um, I, I consider them cautionary tales. <laughs> well, and it's also, you know, it, it's just why why bother, you know, filling up half your time with something you're not actually interested in. And it's also, I found, ironically, you know, it was when I got to college, it was the one thing I'm actually kind of good at, you know? So it made perfect sense to actually go for it as a career. It wasn't even just a, a pure, you know, most people think of it when you're, when you're going for an artistic endeavor, it's, it's like a pure pipe dream. But for me, I'm like, no, I'm not really good at many other things. So I really do need to, to figure out how to make money doing this. And the stories you get on a student film set in college are stories that you're, <laughs> those are, those are classic college stories that so many people don't even get. Oh, I, I got to say, man, <laughs> there was this one semester where we everyone in the class wrote the same script without telling each other. And it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. We all wrote some variation on the they were dead the whole time character was a ghost thing. And I remember every one of us came into that class thinking, oh, man, I, I got the coolest twist. No, like you're never going to. This is such a cool idea. And then. One by one, we all read our scripts and realized we had done the exact same thing. <laughs> Everybody saw The Sixth Sense and thought they could be the next guy. I guess, man. I, I don't know if that's what it was. It, it was just so funny how almost the entire class did it in the same. It was, it was, yeah. But yeah, I no, I loved, uh, I loved going to going to college for it. Okay, did you ever have trouble getting people to be in your student films? In my student films, uh, yeah, just because I went to college in a fairly small town, so our acting pool was um, very limited, to say the least. Most people just, you know, uh, most people just had their boyfriend or girlfriend as their lead. We had a couple pretty dedicated theater actors, and I would usually try to pull from that pool. Um, but that was the main that was just the main difficulty was the limitations of how few people lived in our town uh, coming out of it and seeing student films uh, done now where I live in Pittsburgh. Um, I rarely see people have trouble finding actors. If you put out a casting call, you'll almost always find somebody. 
that, that I, I have to admit that question was a little bit selfish because uh, I went to a school with a very large theater program, a very significant TV program. And you would think that that would mean that the TV people would have a steady supply of actors ready to go, wanting that extra practice. And for reasons I can never explain, that never seemed to be the case. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Never hasn't been my experience. <laughs> Everywhere yeah. I've gone, there's been people willing to be in movies. I, I, people love being in movies. That's 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 funny. I always wonder, enjoyed it, but it's a different world. They were too good now. for. <laughs> it's a different world now, though, because you know I'm guessing you were like early 2000s, late 90s in college at the time. Uh, no, I graduated from college uh, just two or three years ago. I graduated. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Okay, so I, I'm sorry, I pegged just being a hair more experienced than and whatnot. Um, <laughs> um, but say, see, when I went, independent film was not, it, it was just hitting its stride. Kevin Smith had just become a name. Uh, things like uh, the Blair Witch Project were big news for the first time ever. So yeah. it, it, this was something that most people didn't have their head around yet. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, I was in there. I don't know if this was just my college being a few years behind, but I was in right as they were making the the full switch to digital. Because I know a lot of uh, educational institutions, uh, at least on the college side, I don't know about film school, but a lot of educational institutions were very, very hesitant to embrace uh, the, the the digital age. Um, so I spent my first two years shooting on mini DV tape and then my last two shooting on. Oh, excuse me, shooting on digital. Um, that's funny, though, because Kevin Smith and, and Blair Witch Project are still like the go-to names when you're pitching a film. There's still some of the go-to examples of, ah, look at these independent guys. Look how they did it, you know? Um, I actually visited the uh, the Clerks Convenience Store out in Leonardo, New Jersey, not too long ago. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I never got out that way. It's just, just always a hair longer than I had time for that particular day. It's, I know it's a landmark, and I should go. It's it's so funny, too, because it's, uh, it's such a small-town environment that, You'll be pegged as a as a tourist instantly. Like I was, uh, I have family out in Jersey, and I uh, was going to a uh, a show down in Asbury Park, uh, and it was pretty much right on the way. So so me and me and my buddy stopped off, and uh, we we didn't want to walk around and be like, oh, clerks, you know. We so we just kind of walked in and you know got a drink, and we're trying to be very casual about it. And we get up to the front counter, and instantly the the woman at the front counter is like, oh, so you guys are clerks fans, huh? <laughs> and we're like we're like. How'd you know? She goes, because I know everybody that comes in here and you don't come in here. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, it's funny. Hey, hey, Clerks is going to keep them in business for the rest of her life. Oh, so I, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And it's it's so funny because like, we talked to a few people as we were leaving and every, everyone there just says, oh, yeah, good old Kevin. We all knew him, you know, off doing bigger things now. So, I mean, I can't I can't say I've done that. But what I have done, are you a fan of the movie UHF? I don't think I've seen that one. With Weird Al Yankovic? No. Okay. I'm a fan of Weird Al Yankovic, though. Okay. It was shot in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay. I have been up there many, many, many times. I know the area well. And I have found almost every shooting location from that movie. Very nice. And I can go there and say, hey, that's where they taught poodles how to fly. And (laughs) it's fun. Um, The first one I ever hit was where the... uh, filmed the scene at the place called Big Edna's Burger World, which was a catfish place at the time. And pulled in. I guess they were closed, but the owner was there sweeping up and cleaning and looked at me like I was going to rob the place. Just gave me that big eye, 
asked, like, what the heck are you doing here? We're closed. And I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, I don't know if you knew this, but there was a movie made here about 15 years ago, 20 years ago, something like that. And I just want to take a couple pictures of Yeah, you're not the first one. <laughs> Did, uh, maybe you'll know. Uh, I know a lot of the new uh, Watchmen show was set in Tulsa. Did they actually shoot it there? I don't believe so. Okay. Um, yeah, that, that was... I don't know where they shot it, but I don't believe I saw any production in, in Tulsa at the time. Oh, it wouldn't really make any sense because since that was, since it was much earlier, Tulsa doesn't look very much like it did at that point in time. So it right. really wouldn't be very beneficial to try to shoot it on site. Yeah. I mean, I, there's a lot of restaurants. I feel like that get some of their business. There's actually, I, ironically, before I was even a big Kevin Smith fan, um, there's a, a little Mexican restaurant very close to, to where I grew up that I worked at for several years. And over the one table is a dogma poster because it's where they shot the scene, uh, where Alan Rickman, uh, takes, um, the lead character down, down to Mexico for a, a brief aside in that movie. Um, it's just funny. I seem to be stalking Kevin. Well, it's very hard not to. The guy puts himself everywhere. <laughs> he does. He does. I've always liked that about him. I mean, it, when he did his road shows and would tour around doing live podcasts and stuff, I mean, it was just he, he was very accessible to his fans. And I think he in some ways paved the way for the social media model of filmmaking and celebrity. Yeah, there's a there's a documentary um, a friend of mine working on called uh, Chasing Chasing Amy. Um Sav Rogers, he's a real talented filmmaker. Um, and uh, Kevin, from what I've seen, they've they've actually been able to interact and stuff. And he's been very supportive of, of the making of the process and whatnot. So it's I don't know. I, I really enjoy the small town story like that and not losing that accessibility mm -hmm. despite a long and varied career. Well, it's I think you're starting to speak to the fact that Hollywood as a geographic location is becoming less and less relevant over time. The businesses that are there, the people that are there are relevant, but the need to actually physically be there to do, to be creative is less and less important as each day goes on. Yeah. It's been very fascinating to watch that because to an extent, yes, absolutely. You, you've seen production pick up in, in, smaller towns you might not have expected like 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 here in pittsburgh there's been you know netflix has a heavy presence here you know they shot batman here actually i was in um stillwater oklahoma a couple years back and they were talking um about all the productions coming through you know oklahoma and 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 plus you know atlanta obviously was was picking up really big seattle has a big scene you know um and because of you know advancements in technology and stuff it, it's so much more accessible for people but but at the same time there still is this centralization to Hollywood that I think has more to do almost with tradition and less to do with geography in the sense that most of the productions I just mentioned in all these other places still are LA productions. They're still based out of LA. And, and the weird thing is the new media market seems to have reflected that in terms of geography. Like if you want to be a YouTuber or, or if you want to be like a, a TikTok star or whatever, and you kind of hit that point where you're ready to start attacking it as a career, most of the time you got to go to L.A. because that's that's where even though YouTube you'd think is the kind of thing. The cool thing about it is that anyone can do it from their bedroom. The 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 market is still in L.A. Your your peers are out there. Your managers are out there. The advertisers are out there. So it's just so interesting to me that as we've developed 
to have less and less of the need to go to L.A., you still got to go to L.A. eventually. <laughs> yeah, I see what you're saying, that there's always going to be that that last mile that you have to go. Um, I'm, I'm just thinking back, and maybe I'm thinking a little too long term. I mean, there was a time that if you didn't spend every waking minute there, your career was going nowhere. Sure. Well, because for a while, it, it was as simple as that's where the cameras and the actors mm-hmm. were. And so what are you doing from here on out? After that, this movie's uh, ready to go. Oh, um, I mean, just continuing. So I obviously, uh, not to sound like a uh, a broken record or like I'm copying half of Hollywood, but but everyone kind of just got put on pause this year. We we just all kind of had to, I was supposed to have um, some other, I've, I, so I've been working on the, the pivot from short form stuff to long form stuff, you know, short films uh, for the festival track, more now to feature films. Um, and I was supposed to be doing a little more of that this year, uh, but uh, obviously, you know, productions had to be paused and delayed and shut down. So, um, so yeah, we'll be debuting uh, the film in March. Uh, we'll hopefully be getting it picked up for distribution sometime before or after that. And then uh, for me, it's it's honestly it's it's on to the next one. Um, I have some. Uh, some new media ambitions as well. I might actually be venturing into the the, the podcast world a little bit just because it's something I've found that I enjoy doing. Uh, but for the most part, it's uh, it's just making the next feature. And I had a I had one that was lined up, um, but we're gonna have to see how the world uh, settles to see if it's that or a different one. But um, but yeah, I uh, that's 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 the main thing for me is just uh, just keep making keep making projects. You absolutely should start a podcast. I mean, the way you able you're able to wrap your head around these conversations, you've got a lot of insight that I think would be really useful. And oh, thank you. I, I really think anybody who wants to start one should one. Yeah, it's very accessible. That's some some of the the joy of it. Um, we I've done some some tests with uh, with some friends and co-hosts and stuff, and uh, the actual process of 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 making them I find very fun. I've I always enjoy being on them, so I was always like, oh, this this might be something that um, that could be that could be a fun endeavor. But and again, like I said, I I, I feel like I've been so much uh, so much of my career in the in the classic filmmaking world i really do want to dip my toes into the more modern waters and kind of see what that mark is like as compared to the one that i'm more familiar with which is you know the festival track what i find interesting about it is it is kind of one of the better the better products of the original the the web 1.0 era before social media took over yeah when when personal web pages were the big thing when chat rooms were more text-based podcast kind of came out of that tradition where you don't really have to give your content to any big corporation. You just get it out there and people who want to go get it. And it's so funny that it has kind of circled back to that. Cause like you said, that was, you know, it, it, there just didn't used to be the bandwidth to make a show on something like YouTube, you know, podcasts were, were not only the, the thing they were, they were the practical thing if you wanted some sort of show. Um, and I find it really, really funny how, you know, we got so far from that only to come right back to it. Cause podcasts are still some of the, some of the biggest things out there. Like you were saying earlier, I mean, like how Joe Rogan's show is one of the most like influential, um, just media things that there is. And most of the big media figures, you know, have just, you know, podcasts on YouTube or podcasts on all the platforms. So it's, uh, I mean, I, I think YouTube noticed it a few years ago when they when they pivoted towards uh, prioritizing watch time um, in minutes over um, completing videos. That long form content is kind of the thing humanity wants for whatever reason. Like, 
it, it seems almost counterintuitive from a marketing perspective to say like, oh man, who's going to want to listen to people talk for two and a half hours? No one's going to have time to watch that, but people do. People will consume it. They like the long form uh, type. So yeah, well, podcasts ben, are okay. cool. I'm talking to an independent filmmaker. I'm talking to a guy who writes scripts based on Greek mythology and who wants to look at the, the nitty gritty of making stuff. You're going to get this. Some people won't get this, but you will get this. People are ready to be challenged. People are ready to be taken seriously. The audience is tired of being told they're stupid. And they were told they were stupid for a very long time by the big, big companies. Sure. I, I, I don't think people enjoy feeling like they're being told they're stupid. Um, but I, I also feel like there is definitely an inclination towards uh, gravitating towards what you want to hear. You know, like that's why if you look in like the comments of like um, YouTube movie reviewers or something. Um, so I, I I believe like this is just a random personal philosophy of me, but the, the value of a critic is in the consistency of their voice, right? So if you have a, if you've got a, a movie reviewer who is one of those like super I hate superhero movie types only give me the artistic French new wave films types. And then, you know, they say that they don't like a superhero movie. You're like, all right, that's par for the course. You know, it might still be an OK movie. Um, but they say they watch the latest Marvel movie or something and they say this was a fantastic movie. Well, then, you know, that's the greatest movie ever made because <laughs> they hate those movies and they said yeah. that movie. But anyway, that all that being said, um, people don't seem to look for critics with consistent voices. They seem to look for critics that uh, agree with them on, you know, on, on taste and whatnot, which isn't always a bad thing, but like, um, I don't know if people are as averse to being told that they're stupid as they are averse to being told that they're wrong. <laughs> That's a good point. That is a very good point. And, and there's a certain, there's a certain necessity of being, being willing to be wrong in order to be taken seriously. Yeah. No, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think that's, I think that's incredibly true. And I think that's where the, the people that are willing to listen to the, to the, to the things that challenge them um, is such an important thing. and such a good thing. And that's, I love that. That's why I love that kind of content, you know, especially when you, when you have it in kind of a discussion format, when it is like two people who aren't afraid to be wrong discussing something or whatever. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I confirmation bias is a, I don't want to get too political here, but as we saw this past year, it's a scary, scary thing. Yeah, let, let me just, just just to take one example from five minutes ago when we were talking about the relevance of Hollywood. And I, I said, I, I truly believe that in five years, the physical location of Los Angeles is going to be considerably less important than it is now. You don't believe that. And that's OK. I still actually want to sit here. I'm going to turn off this recording in a couple minutes and I'm going to ponder this because you've given me some really cool insight. That doesn't mean I'm going to throw my ideas out, but man, no, I'm excited you because you just gave me more to think about. And I thank you for that. Yeah. And to be honest, I hope you're right. Cause I, cause you know, the, the, the more decentralized something like the movie industry becomes, um, the, the better it is for independent creators. So I don't, nothing against Hollywood necessarily, but like, I don't want it all to be centralized there. I want there to be more cause, cause the, the thing 
that Hollywood still has, like I said, is the the studios and the people that send out the production. So if you're making movies in Pittsburgh or if you're making movies in Seattle, you're making movies in Atlanta, most of those productions, most of the core talent are still based out of Hollywood. And I've been, you know, one of the reasons I stayed in Pittsburgh and tried to make movies here is because you don't have homegrown stuff like that. You don't have your your clerks you don't have you know the the from the ground up from you know pittsburgh writers and creators and type things out here so as much as i don't think hollywood's gonna go away anytime soon just because i don't i think they'll refuse to um i hope i hope you're right i hope i'm wrong because <laughs> well, uh, I, I think it'd be better for all of us i i, I do too and i really just think that because i know so many people like you who are very talented they're very ambitious. They have fresh ideas, but they either aren't in Hollywood or don't want to be in Hollywood. And I know people in Hollywood who want to get the hell out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've i always said I'll probably end up there at some point, at least for a bit, um, just because sometimes sometimes you got to go. You got to establish some things and then you got to come back and, you know, and you can bring that back to whatever small town you want to work in. Um, but I've always also enjoyed just the kind of big fish in a small pond type thing. I, it, it, I find it easier to to work that way when I'm not, you know, elbowing out too much, uh, too much competition for the same feeding trough, if you will. Now, I mean, I, I need to talk, have a very serious conversation with you because we're from one Pennsylvania to another. When you leave the state, and I know this, you lose your access to decent pizza and decent cheese sticks, and you cannot take this seriously enough. I mean, it depends which direction you go. You can find really good pizza if, if you go far enough east. But yeah, once you go west, I think you're done. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that it's not there, but you will have to look and you will have to lower your standards a bit. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I, I'm I'm born and raised Pittsburgh, and then most of my family's from from Jersey, so I have very high standards for pizza. I would think so. <laughs> and I take pizza personally. Bad pizza is you've hurt me. Yeah. I'm just gonna say you've hurt me. Okay, and maybe I will leave it on this because this would be just a great point to make. Um, I went to a certain place. Actually, this is not an uncommon thing. I ordered a pizza, and the waitress says, would you like to have ranch dressing on your pizza? (laughs) And did you just turn around and and, and walk away? (laughs) Fortunately, it was actually good pizza without it, but the fact that I was even asked made me question my life decisions considerably. Ah, such an uncivilized time we live in. It really is. <laughs> okay, Ben, so before we wrap up here, where can people find your stuff and where can they check out this movie that's ready to roll? All right, my website is benjamintothet.com, Benjamin, T-O-T-H-E-T. You can also follow me on just about every social media platform at that handle, at Benjamin to the T. Um, except on Facebook, uh, my production company has a, a page there you can follow at uh, Bit Sized Productions. Um, I don't know if you need to put the LLC when you search in there, but it's uh, at Bit Sized Productions. Uh, most of my films are available for viewing uh, on my website, um, with the exceptions being the ones that are, you know, we only upload to Facebook, such as our latest uh, 48-hour uh, film project entry. That'll be up on the Bit Size Productions Facebook page. Uh, the movie itself, the only public premiere we have lined up uh, is the world premiere at Austin. So uh, if you're in the area or you're within 400 mile radius of it, I highly suggest coming out in March. Um, after that, we're going to have to see who, uh, wh- where we uh, end up with uh, distribution wise to see when you'll be able to see the film after that. But uh, yeah. 
Okay, well, all that is going to be in the show notes on my website, aaronbossig.com, and this episode is going to be out extremely soon. So if you're getting it right off the feed, go ahead and check that out. Yeah, if you're listening to it, it definitely was soon. Okay, Ben, thanks so much. I will see you soon. Looking forward to having you back. Hey, thanks, Aaron. I'm looking forward to being back. I would like to thank Ben for being my guest today, and I would like to thank you for listening. For the community building part of the show today, I would like to just recommend use the right hashtag. I have a hashtag for Hungry Trilobite, hashtag Hungry Trilobite, and I put that on all of my Twitter posts. I should start putting it on Instagram posts too, and I think I'm going to do just that. So if you happen to use either one of those social media platforms, use the hashtag Hungry Trilobite. Again, my community building things are tips that I use to build this show, but that cost you nothing and take less than five minutes of your time. I would really appreciate your help. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Amazon, Stitcher, YouTube, and we are syndicated on Realm of the Mist, a fantastic podcast network. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.